Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Thank you very much for coming back to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the conservative conversation in the Patriot Journalist Network. Uh, We are back to bucking the political class, IRS, and the Mueller investigation, part two. I apologize. We were uh, cut off. Uh, We will uh, continue on for the next uh, about next hour so we can get uh, the full time uh, for our guest. Uh, Bob McNeil. So let's go ahead and bring him right back on. Unfortunately, we uh, were not able to get our panelist Kelly on. He had to do a uh, conference call for other things he's working on, uh, probably something with Watch to Vote USA or uh, some of his uh, contributions he does to uh, the homeless there in California. Uh, but let's go ahead, and, and then we may be able to get have Cindy back on. Uh, but uh, most importantly, of course, is our guest tonight. Uh, thank you very much uh, for coming back on, Bob. Uh, you're welcome, Robert. Yes, I'm here again. Uh, let's pick up where we left off, if you don't mind. No, go yeah, certainly. Because uh, what we'll do is we'll put the uh, the links out now. Uh, we'll have uh, to send part one and part two. So let's go ahead and do the continuation. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, can you tell me where we left off? I think I'm not sure where I got cut off, but uh, uh, well, I had mentioned. You're, you're that, just, yeah, just uh, getting ready about to about uh, your story there about. Uh, with the IRS and how you were getting ready to, um, I think, was uh, getting ready to tell about the, what happened to contempt of court. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I had already mentioned that the IRS uh, revenue officers would not and could not tell me what law uh, made me liable. So fast forward right. to, fast forward to uh, 2015, 2016, 2017, where we have now been involved in filing, you know, 10 or more lawsuits against the IRS, well, the the Department of Justice decided that we were filing uh, frivolous and vexatious and harassing lawsuits against uh, the IRS and various judges and uh, even some some, uh, DOJ attorneys for committing what we call misprision of felony. We have have noticed then that a crime has been committed. Uh, they failed to act on it, and, and in fact, they were actively concealing it. And that is a crime uh, called misprision of felony, and it is under Title 18 of the U.S. Code. So we kept filing these lawsuits, and so the, the uh, DOJ attorney uh, went to the, uh, a federal judge that we've been dealing with on a number of cases and said, Your Honor, uh, I would like for you to uh, file an injunction against Mr. McNeil and Mr. Ellis to prevent them from uh, filing any new cases or assisting anyone from filing new cases that interfered with the actions of the IRS in the enforcement of the income tax or the uh, actions of the DOJ 
in uh, in prosecuting cases uh, having to do with income taxes. And so uh, that injunction was issued in April 2017 against me and Michael. It was uh, a nationwide permanent injunction uh, from uh, to keep us from filing any new cases. Well, the as it turns out, you know, we're pretty astute when it comes to reading language. Uh, I spent 40 years reading complex contracts and understanding what they meant, and Michael has uh, extensive experience with uh, legal documents as well. We read the injunction. We understood exactly what it said and exactly what they meant for it to say. And what we determined was this, is that uh, the Department of Justice wrote this in such a narrow manner that, uh, yes, it prevented us from doing certain things, but there was an entire universe of things outside that small box that we could do. And so we ended up filing two new additional suits that fell outside the injunction, and uh, and that just sent the DOJ into a tailspin. And so they went back to the court and said, Your Honor, Your Honor, you filed an injunction keeping McNeil and Ellis from filing any new cases, and they did it twice. The, uh, we would like for you to issue a, a show-cause order, have them come to Washington, D.C., and explain to you in person why they should not be held in contempt of court for violating your injunction. And so uh, that was uh, the purpose of our trip just last week on March 1st, where uh, we flew to Washington, D.C. We uh, stood in front of uh, Judge Cooper, and uh, we pled our case explaining to him exactly what the injunction said, why we did not violate the injunction because our cases fell outside the injunction. And in the end, he agreed with us. And he says, uh, yes, the the injunction uh, was not clear and un- unambiguous, and so I'm not going to file you and uh, I'm not going to uh, find you in contempt of court. And so that was a huge win. You know, anytime you can walk out of federal court, you know, without anything bad happening to you, I think that's a victory in anybody's eyes. And so that that uh, weight had been lifted off our shoulders. We'd been suffering under the uh, the prospect of being uh, held in contempt for you know since last fall. And so uh, that was that was a huge win for us. And we got back to Texas now, and uh, uh, we still have uh, five active cases that we are now free to continue to prosecute uh, through the system, and uh, we're going to continue to do that. So uh, so that's, uh, that's what the DOJ and the IRS and the federal courts will do to someone who challenges them. They will uh, – actually what the DOJ attorney did, he, act- he actually made up things about us that were untrue in uh, getting this injunction issued, and uh, – uh, and they'll do that. Uh, these, these DOJ attorneys have no ethics, and uh, and uh, they'll do anything to uh, to put you away if they have to. And so, so that that was the latest thing to happen in federal court. Uh, I'll add that to my win in 2008 in federal court in Houston, where I defeated two IRS summonses that they had issued to uh, to uh, have a judge. Uh, uh, enforce two summonses to for me to produce my 
bank accounts and records and receipts and pay stubs and all this stuff so the IRS could uh, could uh, calculate what they thought my tax liability was. Well, I studied the law. I studied uh, you know, what the requirements were, and I, uh, I filed a document with the court explaining all the reasons why I should not be required to provide those documents, and uh, and the court agreed. And so I walked out of that proceeding, too. That was in April of 2008 with uh, two dismissals of those summonses, and I did not have to comply. So there are holes in the IRS's logic and in the law that uh, most people simply won't walk through. They, they simply won't take the time or effort to educate themselves and uh, and uh, and combat this this fraud. And but I I did, Michael and I did, and so far we have prevailed. You know, we see, and you may recall uh, James Trafficant on. You know, when he took on the IRS, they weren't too happy about that, and yeah. you know they even threw him in jail for some things, uh, and. And now that he's he's gone, you know he, uh, you know there's even suspicious surrounding his death as well. Uh, we've sure. had him uh, on the show a couple of times, uh, you know, on here, and also a good friend of his, uh, Jim Connor Jr. has been on uh, the show as well. Uh, so you know he took him on, and well, you see what happens. I think the higher, I mean, even just those three letters, in and of itself. Unfortunately, throws a lot of fear in the people. I think IRS throws more fear in the hearts of men and women of the United States than UFO. <laughs> no, I agree, and uh, it's something that's been going on for more than 100 years. This tax code, and uh, there's no telling how many people's lives have been destroyed by this this code that uh, people simply don't understand. They they simply. They simply comply because they're afraid to challenge, and uh, you have to be really in a unique position to be able to do that and, and, and come out and prevail. Uh, you know, there are about 150 million tax returns filed each year uh, in, in, with the IRS. There are only about 100,000 IRS employees uh, to receive and process these uh, these tax returns, and you know the DOJ claims that you know hey if you don't if you don't file if you don't pay you're going to go to prison, and and that is a real possibility, but fewer than 300 people per year are prosecuted and uh, and sent to prison out of 150 million people who file. So the probability that anything really terrible is going to happen to you is very, very small. Uh, of course, that does not negate the possibility that uh, your wages may be garnished, uh, that uh, you may have liens and levies placed on your assets, that your house may be taken from you, and all of your possessions taken from you. So uh, those are other ways that the IRS can force you into compliance, and, and they do. Uh, and so – but – just from from the standpoint of, of of what it is to live in America, this type of tax system was never intended to be uh, put in place by the founders. We were never intended to live in fear of any government agency, and yet here we are for over a hundred years uh, being so afraid uh, to uh, to go up against this this agency. 
And if you do a little bit of study of history, you'll find out that the founders actually wrote into the Constitution two methods of taxation uh, that uh, allowed the every American to pay into the system, and yet none of them ever to have any face-to-face interaction with the federal government. And, in fact, those two methods uh, were how the uh, federal government was actually funded for the first 125 years of, the, of America's existence. It wasn't until 1913 that the uh, Internal Revenue Service, that, that the income tax came into being. And so, uh, but for the first 125 years of our existence, no American filed a tax return. Uh, no American had direct uh, 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 direct uh, uh, interaction with the federal government. Every American brought home 100, 100% of their pay, but paid taxes through those two original taxing methods. And my solution to all this is... Uh, as, as well, you're, you're breaking up some, I hate to say. I tell you what, maybe it's just where our friend NSA Bob, uh, <laughs> well, we call him, uh, has been interfering with things tonight. Now, now we've got static here going on. Going on. Um, well, uh, I apologize. I don't know. If it, yeah, I'm, I'm on a landline. I don't know where that would come from. Is this any better? Uh, no, still breaking still, up? You're still breaking up there some. Okay. Well, I don't know what to do about that. Uh, I'll talk slowly, maybe. Who knows? Uh, but the solution, in my view, as a U.S. senator, is to introduce legislation to repeal the corporate and individual income tax laws and simply return to the original taxing clauses that are still in the Constitution. I mean, if you want to bring about a peaceful revolution to set all Americans free, that appears to me to be the way to do it. And so I have drafted that legislation already, and it is called uh, the Economic Freedom Act, and it is only six pages long. And so that that is what I would uh, do as a senator is to introduce that legislation into the Senate. It's not an appropriation bill, so it can be introduced into the Senate and, of course, make its way through the Senate committees and through the House and eventually be signed into law. And so uh, that's what I intend to do uh, as a U.S. senator. And I guarantee you that no uh, – Ted Cruz doesn't have any legislation like this, nor does the Democrat uh, candidate for Senate, uh, Beto O'Rourke, uh, neither of them has legislation uh, like this. So I stand alone as the only candidate that with a solid constitutional plan to set not only Texans, but all Americans free from this insidious tax code that we have. Well, well I'll tell you what, I just wish we, you know, we could get uh, Trump to support, you know, the non-Republicans, of course, you know, and we said this on the show before, uh, it would make things really tough, even tougher for him. <laughs> you know, he's having a hard enough time getting his agenda passed. I mean, if he was to kind of buck the the other Republicans, such as Ted Cruz, even though Ted Cruz, you know, a guy I just, I really couldn't stand him too much when he was running for president. Um, 
Well, we do have John on the line, so let's go ahead and uh, open up John's mic. Thank you very much, John, for coming to part two of the show. Sorry about the uh, you know, the house earlier, but we're, we're able to get things back on to get this last hour in. Go ahead. Can you hear me? I can yeah, hear I can you. hear you. Oh, okay. Well, I was just letting you know he sounds fine to me. I didn't hear him breaking up. No, so maybe it maybe it's here. AT&T. Maybe it's, maybe it's my... Uh, my connection. I, I, I used to have Sprint, but we uh, changed AT&T, and I've regretted it ever since. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm just loving it and enjoying both of the guests this evening. Um, I do have a kind of a question in the sense of what you've been talking about and whatnot and my limited understanding of all things, especially the Constitution. It seems to me that whenever we talk about government, that should refer to every legal United States citizen. But unfortunately, the context in which most of us speak of the government, it says the oligarchy of officials that get into office and the bureaucracy heads, and then they show favoritism towards their little circle of accomplices and, uh, and you know those people that have political connections with them, and then they discriminate to the rest of us. Therefore, they just threw the rule of law and the Constitution right out the window. So we don't have the rule of law. It's the rule of man deceitfully masquerading under the color of law. And I was just wondering, from your standpoint of understanding the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, and, you know, Article 4, Section 2, all citizens are entitled to the same privileges and immunities as citizens of the several states. And then Article 1, Section 9, Article 1, Section 10, referring to no title of nobility shall be granted, you know, at either the state or the federal level. Then how can they pass laws favoring any particular group and create different classes? Like, that seems totally... Unlawful. Well, I, I'm not I agree sure I with you. Have the I, right words. I'm not the greatest speaker. No, you're, you. you're you're fine. I understood exactly what you meant, and and I agree with you. Uh, you know, we have people that have been in office uh, now for twenty, thirty, forty years, and uh, I think that's a large part of what our problem is, is that the American people just uh, keep keep reelecting these incumbents, you know, cycle after cycle after cycle. And, mm-hmm. and and that's I think a huge problem that we have because these people are so entrenched. Uh, they have uh, lined up against the American people actually, and are uh, they're influenced by lobbyists as y'all were talking about earlier uh, with the other guests, and I, I tend to agree with that. And that's why, <clears throat> and that's why I'm running uh, for the Senate in in this cycle in 2018. I am a true citizen representative. I represent the people of Texas, and I represent the people of the United States of America. And that's why I am, am uh, and, and that's who I intend to serve uh, if the people of Texas will elect me. Uh, I don't have any allegiances to any of those people in Washington. Uh, I intend to be elected by the people, uh, and and I'm, I'm not beholden to... Uh, any major corporations, any big packs, or anything like that. The only thing I have, the main thing I have to offer the people of Texas and the Americans is liberty and prosperity as the founders intended, and that is through the elimination of the income tax 
and a return to the original taxing methods that the founders intended. That would be huge, uh, and it's something that uh, hasn't been done, and uh, certainly not in the last hundred years, and would set America on a path of prosperity and liberty that no one has, has seen or felt uh, in our lifetime. And so that's that's the major thrust of my candidacy. Of course, it's going to go beyond that uh, as I as I get to Washington and I see how the uh, the Senate runs, and I'm pretty sure it's a cesspool. I would uh, align myself more with the. Uh, in fact, I, I intend to uh, put together an American Citizen Caucus. You know, there are several caucuses within. Uh, the the legislative branches, the Senate and the House, and I would tend to uh, gather people with similar views, with uh, with a uh, a similar motive to restore our liberties and uh, and to fight back against those people who are influenced by the lobbyists and are actually working against our best interests, we the people. So that's that's how I would address what you're talking about, and that's my intent. Uh, for running uh, as a true a true citizen candidate for the United States Senate from Texas. Yeah, in reference to all of us citizens um, having, and I guess we, we always hear people say, "Oh, we're supposed to be equal," and it, it, I don't feel that the government is all about making sure that we all have the same equal outcomes. You know, you don't get the same number of peanuts as I get the same number of peanuts. And um, we have the 14th Amendment, and like I mentioned, Article 4, Section 2, where we're all supposed to have the same privileges and and immunities. But um, how do you anticipate being able to have every constituent be equally representative because you know how it goes. If we have the freedom of contract, the right to mutual assent, you know, good faith bargaining, good faith negotiations, and you have uh, people that want to be elected such as yourself into office, but then once they get into office, they play favorites, and they'll pass laws that actually burden certain people. Therefore, circumstances dictate that their pursuit of happiness has a wall, a roadblock, or a speed bump in their way. But their accomplices and their other politically connected, they'll give them a law which gives them a high-speed test lane to their pursuit of happiness. So how do you juggle that balance and still maintain the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and all the citizens having equal representation where their will is reflected in the law to rightfully give them the opportunity to actually pursue their pursuit of happiness without certain people getting special privileges and others getting discriminated with, uh, you know, unfair laws. Well, to me it appears this. The government has no authority or right to see that every American has the same number of peanuts. That's not the function of government. The function of government, as I see it, is that everyone, uh, sh- the law should apply equally to everyone. Now, I think that's really the point of, of uh, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, that no person is above the law, no person should get special privileges when it comes to the law, and that the law should apply equally to everyone. Because the things that you're talking about are, uh, in my view, occur when 
the cronies in Washington let people slide. They don't apply. They they don't apply the law equally. Uh, they actually let friends of theirs violate the law without any uh, without any sanctions, and that's where uh, we go astray. My intent is to see that the law applies to everybody, that no one gets a pass. And when you violate a law, that you pay for it. Uh, and and so I think that's that's my approach to it. Uh, I don't know that I would ever uh, vote for a bill that allowed everyone to get the same amount of peanuts, like uh, you know a, a national basic income, things like that. That is not the function of government. The, the function of government is to get out of the way of the American people so we could apply our own skills and abilities uh, to, to the fullest with the least amount of government interference. And that's how you build a free society and a prosperous society, and that's what the founders uh, had in mind for us. You, you don't see the um, connection that, you know, if God is the grantor of our inalienable rights, then why is it that we just vote people into office and then they get to burden and encumber us with rules, laws, processes, and procedures of self-governing, and we're just back to the same situation where we're not self-governing nor we free. We're being relegated to be legislative slaves where they represent us like a pimp represents a prostitute, and that's the same thing what King George was doing. Him and his oligarchy, they got into office, and then they dictated the burdens and encumbrances on the people against their will without their consent. And then we had this big fight in 1770, and our founding freedom fighters, you know, pushed back the British under with the 13 colonies that were here. And they said, no more are we going to be oppressed by a dictator. But for the last 230 years, we continue to have person after person get elected into government and then they say well I'm in the power now I get to burden and encumber you whether you like it or not and I'm going to give you this law or this rule and now they've relegated you to a slave again as if all we get to do is go vote for our next dictator so I don't see how you know our current system is going to help us resolve our differences whenever it's just government sanctioned bullying and assault because otherwise, if you can't burden, if you get into office and you can't burden me against my will without my consent, you know, love your neighbor as your as yourself and treat others as the way you want to be treated, well then, it goes vice versa. I can't burden you and encumber you with rules, laws, processes, and procedures of self-governing, and you can't burden and encumber me with rules, laws, processes, and procedures of governing. Otherwise, one of us is master and the other slave. So therefore. That's why I asked the question. I don't. I don't agree. It's about peanuts. I. Agree, I think it's about mutual assent on the rules, laws, processes, and procedures. Each one of us get to decide what we're going to be burdened and encumbered by. Otherwise, you're just another dictator, or I, or whoever gets elected into office, and they they just go into office and then they force burdens and encumbrances. So Donald Trump is not doing anything different than all the other presidents that came before him, and we've never got off start from our Constitution to be free people and self-governing. We've never been self-governing. Otherwise, the people that get elected would not be able to put rules, laws, and processes on us against our will without our consent. Do I make sense? I'm not the greatest speaker, so please forgive me. 
I understood everything you said, and yes, you did make sense. And if you will allow me, let me give you the second solution, and I think it'll answer your question. I've already talked about the Economic Freedom Act, a piece of legislation that repeals all these laws that we've been living under for 100 years. Now, you and I both know that when I introduce that, that bill in the Senate, I'm going to get a lot of pushback. There's not going to be one senator that's going to vote for that because they're, they're, they're the ones that are entrenched. And just going back to what you said, we the people are at fault for the situation that we're in. Again, because we keep reelecting these senators and legislators in the House uh, decades and decades, hoping that we're going to get a different result, uh, but but we don't. So here's the second part of of my solution. The first part is the Economic Freedom Act, the piece of legislation that I will introduce that I know that Congress is not going to pass. How would I entice them to pass it? Uh, I, writ- I wrote a second document, and this is for the president. The first is for the legislative branch. The next is for the executive branch. I wrote a second document called the Proclamation of Freedom, and I went back and studied history, and uh, and I read about uh, I read the Constitution about what the powers of the presidency are, uh, how the president has used those powers throughout our history, and remember I was a 2008 write-in candidate for the president, uh, and also in 2016, I was a FEC registered candidate under the American Citizen Party. So as president, I would have signed this two-page document called the Proclamation of Freedom. Now, what this document does, it invokes the Article 2, Section 2 power of the presidential pardon for the president to pardon every American from ever paying income taxes or filing a tax return again. Now, think about the power that goes along with that, because remember, the only restriction on the presidential pardon has to do with impeachment. That's the only thing the president cannot pardon anyone for. And if you go back and you study the uh, the applications of the pardon, over the uh, the period of our history, uh, you'll find the following things. It cannot be overturned by Congress. It cannot be overturned by the Supreme Court. It does not require a conviction. It uh, can be applied uh, to a mass number of people, and uh, and and uh, because we have hist- historical evidence of that. Uh, after the Civil War, as an example, Andrew Johnson pardoned every Confederate soldier, uh, issued a mass pardon for you know, however many uh, Confederate soldiers there were. Uh, Jimmy Carter, after the, after the Vietnam War, uh, pardoned every uh, American who uh, fled the draft, who were draft dodgers. And the purpose of the pardon is to bring the country back together after a period of discord or discontent. And so uh, I would I would sign that document to, uh, if I were president, to pardon every American citizen from ever paying taxes again under our current system. And what that would do immediately within 30 days, within two pay periods, it would stop withholding. It would uh, stop about $2 trillion from being withheld from our paychecks 
and sent to Washington, and uh, Congress would see an immediate drop of revenues to the uh, to the Treasury. Now they're going to want that money back, and uh, and so that's a huge uh, uh, negotiating position for the president to be in to say, if you'll sign uh, and pass the Economic Freedom Act, repealing the income tax law, and and restoring the original taxing clauses, uh, uh, I'll, I'll sign this document, but but you're going to have to do that. Now. I have sent this document to President Trump. I mailed it to him and uh, never got a reply. Obviously, he uh, is on board with the the tax reform bill that was just passed recently, you know, just uh, keeping in place our 100-year-old progressive income tax system, just adjusting adjusting rates and brackets. So I know that he's not on board signing anything of that magnitude. So... uh, uh, as a senator, if I were to be elected, I would personally hand that to him. It's very possible that his handlers intercepted my mail and he never got it. And so to <laughs> alleviate that, if I were to be a senator, I would make an appointment to see him. I would uh, hand this document to him, explain what it's all about, and I would hope that he would sign it. So that's the second part about it. That's the that's the most powerful document written in modern American history that would set 320 million Americans free from this insidious income tax. So that's uh, that's how I would get Congress's attention uh, to get back in line uh, and start following the Constitution. Can I ask you another question? Sure you can. Um, in light of our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution, it's even if we get rid of the taxes, government sanctioned bullying just because you get elected to office, taking the power to burden and encumber other people against their will, flies in the face of equality and self governing and being free, independent, you know, with liberty and justice for all. And if each one of us have our own American dream. We should be the ones that gets to decide what the rules, laws, processes, and procedures that we're burdened by are. Otherwise, if we allow the oligarchy of people who get elected, they don't necessarily care about our American dream, our pursuit of happiness. So therefore, when they're setting the rules, laws, processes, and procedures, certain rules might be speed bumps to you and me and walls to other people and then high-speed fast lanes to other people. So there's a, there's a problem right there. Even if you don't pay taxes, you're still a legislative slave if somebody else is making the rules and you're being obligated to them without due process. You know, due process is your right to good faith bargaining, uh, good faith negotiating, mutuality of agreement. And so, therefore, when they get elected to office and go into office and then start dictating the burdens and encumbrances of laws, processes, procedures, you know, rules of self-governing, and they deny you your due process right of mutuality of agreement, they've just committed extrinsic fraud, fraudulent misrepresentation, coercion, bullying, duress, extortion, 
exploitation. Well, what's the solution? <laughs> I mean, let's let's so get to the, 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 the integrity. The integrity of of the system has never ever been upheld. But and we continue to disenfranchise more and more people, and we have poverty all throughout America in different different neighborhoods and whatnot. And the people that live in a government and up on that higher echelon economically and maybe socially, you might say, they cannot see in your bubble and my bubble and understand how all these things are going to affect us. So as long as they can continue to rules, laws, processes, and procedures the way they do and disrespect our voice in saying, no, don't do that, it harms me, or to say, well, I don't care whether it harms you or not, I'm going to do it anyway, well, then they're depriving us of our pursuit of happiness and our right to be free and to, um, you know, experience our own potential pursuit of our American dream. You see the integrity problem in the rule of law? That's not the rule of law. That's the rule of man. I absolutely do see it, and that's where we, the people, need to exercise our power and vote them out of office. I mean, that's the solution. They're not going to leave on their own. And uh, well, hold, hold on, John. Let him, let him finish. We we need to recruit true citizen representatives that will take these people's places and act. Remember, the the Constitution exists to limit government. It does. It's not. In, it's not intended to limit us. It's in lim, it's intended to limit government, and the government is only uh, authorized to do 18 things. Those are the 18 clauses of Article One, Section Eight, and those are the enumerated powers. They can't do anything else. And for more than 100 years, the government has acted outside of those 18 functions. There should never have been put in place uh, the Social Security system there at the federal level. There should never be in place a welfare system. There should never have been Obamacare. There have uh, most of the programs that uh, have been initiated in the last hundred years are state functions, and the founders always intended. It was always their intent that government be as close to the people as possible, whether it's municipal government, city hall county government, state government, so that we could control government so that government would not control us and we could live as self-governing people. But, as you said, and it's true, we have continued to elect people who went to Washington, D.C., who are acting outside of their authority, and we keep reelecting them. You can't blame them. You have to blame ourselves for doing so. Because the Constitution is very clear about what the authority of the government is, and uh, and as well as the Declaration of Independence, it's very clear what the founders intended for we the people uh, to to live in America, and that was for us to be self-governing. Uh, of course, there should be laws of some kind, you know, uh, but but those should be uh, minimal. And uh, and mostly uh, confined to the states and localities. So I hear what you're saying, uh, but the answer is to re to elect people to office with ethics and integrity that will represent you uh, in in a manner that the founders intended. There's not going to be uh, there's always going to be someone that's going to be unhappy with a law, uh, and and uh, I'm not sure what to do about that. I guess. 
the more people that are unhappy with the law, they can gather and, and elect someone to change that law. That's how we that's how we do it in America. But uh, but the laws that are in place are designed to be applied equally to all Americans. And somebody's going to be happy. Somebody's not going to be happy. And but there's a way uh, and the process in place set by the founders over 230 years ago to change those laws, and we just need to elect people to Congress that will uh, uphold the Constitution. And let's go ahead. We got Cindy on the line, let's, real quick, John, because you know I want to be able to get her in as well for the you know for the show because we are going to try to still maintain the same uh, time frame, even though we had that little. Uh, a little gap there, but uh, we got to go ahead and get Cindy. And thank you very much, Cindy, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hang on. I'm, give her I, a I, moment to. There you okay. go. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Hi, <laughs> Cindy. Um, I had trouble uh, getting the thing back in. Howdy, everybody. How y'all doing? Glad Hi, to ha- have you here. Hi. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um. I think I, I have something that maybe um, might help John. Um, you know, John, you're you're looking for something to be done by, uh, you're looking for a change in government um, in order to uh, cause government to stop being um, corrupt. Um, you cannot look to government to... Um, police itself. It's not going to. Um, The very nature of a person that's trying to be a ruler or leader, someone in politics, um, the very nature of that is to protect your your spot, you know, protect that seat you've got. And so they're not going to do uh, what needs to be done in order to um, give us back our freedoms and uh, uh, protect our constitution, and and it all goes back to what um, one of the founders and I and I'm going to say I think it was um, Adams, uh, either and I'm not sure which Adams either, but um, there's a couple of quotes that I have read in several times, and I and I'm because it's this late, I my memory is I can't get the the names, but this founder was asked when they walked out of the Constitutional Convention and they had a Constitution voted on and ready to go. Um, one of the founders was asked, what kind of government did you give us? Because the people were waiting around to see what they were going to get. And, you know, because there was still the, the possibility that they were going to get another monarchy. Uh, you know, was it going to be a monarchy, a republic, a democracy? Uh, a democracy, what what were they going to get? And he said, his answer was, a republic if you can keep it. And then another one said that this constitution was, and I, I mean another founder, said that this constitution was written for a moral and religious people only. It is wholly inadequate for the governance of any other people. Forgive me if I'm not getting these quotes exact. They're coming out of my memory, not my exact things. But these were said. These were said. And um, the problem is we are, see- we are seeing the breakdown of the rule of law 
because of a breakdown of moral and religious life. If if this constitution was written for a moral and religious people, and we are no longer moral and religious, we have to expect for the, the, the constitution to break down. We have to expect corruption. We have to expect all the bad things that you would think of would happen. And um, not to mention the fact that, you know, God says that, you know, uh, God tells us, if, it, you know, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Well, what does that mean about a nation whose God is not the Lord? You know, you have to think about that. But what we have then is um, a moral and religious breakdown that leads to all the problems that John is worried about. And I don't believe that any politician can solve that problem. This is a problem of American life. It's a problem of American Christians have thrown away their responsibility to um, to to influence their nation to be moral and religious. Uh, if you can't be religious, fine, but at least be moral. We have done nothing to influence that at all. Uh, well, I can't say we haven't done anything because there are a few good um strong religious leaders that we've had lately that, I mean, we just lost one, Billy Graham. But <clears throat> there have been people come along that have done their job. But until the people and in the churches, the, the usual, you know, the people just sitting in the pew every every Sunday, that all they're doing is warming the pew, and they're just living in a mutual congratulatory society, sitting there in their churches, all safe and protected, unless they get outside and become salt and light in their communities, there is never going to be this change. Um, and, and, you know, Christians have just decided, oh, politics is corrupt, so I'm going to stay out of it. That is the worst thing that, that, you, that you could do. Any moral or religious person that stays out of politics is handing it over to the enemy. Uh, and so... So I don't know if that helps you, John, but that's basically where the problem is, and only we can solve it, we the people. You, John, me, John, Robert, et cetera. Cindy, the first quote was um, Benjamin Franklin. The second quote was John Adams. That's very good okay. coming off the top of your head. Um, okay. The, the problem I have is force begets force, and when you have government-sanctioned assault or you know, where the people being elected can basically just run roughshod over you and burden and encumber you with rules, laws, processes against your your um, consent, you know, against your will, then what you're doing psychologically is setting the seed in the, into the minds of the humanity that survival of the fittest is the process. That goes against Christianity. But, but all, the, all these Christians... One person at a time, please. All these people that are in office that call themselves Christians, they've been doing the same thing like the last 200 years. So they're not actually loving their neighbor as their self or treating others the way they want to be treated. They've continued to go into office and then treat the citizens just like the last guy treated them, like they're a second-class citizen and that their property that they get to dictate and 
manipulate. And so we have a whole nation of people that are starting to say, hey, look, the survival of the fittest is the way to go. So now they're raped whenever poverty gets in certain areas or people don't get the life the way they want. They say, well, the government gets to rape, pillage, and plunder us and use the government like a weapon to, you know, steal and thief from us and, and beat us down like they're the master and we're the slaves. So then they start doing it to their neighbors. And that's a perpetual okay, black go ahead. hole. Go ahead, Cindy. Let her, let her respond, hey, John. Joe. John, but the problem is, John, you're expecting the the people who go into politics and the people up there in in the at Washington. You're you're expecting them to do the changing. The the you're expecting them to adhere to the Constitution. Um, How many and it's not going to happen unless let her finish, John. And it's ahead, not going to happen unless we, the people, and I don't mean just Christians. I mean, we, the people in general, are going to have to stop them ourselves. We stop them by simply not voting for them. You, they, they, we're not together on anything. We don't get together on anything. We have all these fragmented fragments of people out there doing this and that and the other thing, and, and we have this idea thrown out there and that idea thrown out there, and nobody ever gets together and decides that the one true thing we need to all get together on is to throw every one of them bums out of there. I mean, people have been saying that for years, but they won't do it. Mm -hmm. There's the R and there's the D. If you're an R, you vote for an R. If there's a D, you vote for a D. So, you know, it's... We can't condone government-sanctioned bullying and force because otherwise the whole community... I think what she said. I think what she's saying, John, is by voting. What you know, I'm not. I don't really like to interject much, but I think what she's saying is that by voting in these people, we are sanctioning it. It's by our vote. It's by our vote that we're sanctioning what these people are doing. And the only way with the system that we that we have currently is to, unless we're going to change the system somehow. You know, which I mean, my way, my idea of changing the system is to one, of course, you know, and I've said this many times before. Two things: one, go to a multi-party system, which I don't know if the United States will ever do that. But uh, let's say if they don't, I think maybe something that would help us to move into a multi-party system would would do preferential voting, which you know that's not that it's you know it's commonplace in Ireland but it's it is done here in a few places and one of the things I'd like to do at some point uh is to get you know some people from a you know a city or a county or whatever have you uh that does preferential voting i mean that there are places within the united states that do have preferential voting where you vote for your first preference your second your third your fourth and then there's a mathematical way that they figure out who the winner of that of that vote is and then once you then you you're more likely to vote for people than you are for for a party and then perhaps you know you can have multi parties you know spawn from that but until we change the system this is the system that we got we and we got to work the best we can in there and we are sanctioned you know back to the point and then I'll bring it back uh, back to our guest if we can make uh you know commentary on it is that you know with with the system we are sanctioning it and and I, we're not saying that we we should be sanctioning it or can, but but the fact is is we are by continually voting in these incumbents. Go ahead, uh, Bob. Well, I would like to jump in here, uh, John. Imagine this, if you will. Tomorrow, the income tax system goes away, 
that burden, the fear of the IRS, is now gone. Your requirement to file a tax return on April 15th is now gone. The withholding of your money from your paycheck is now gone, and uh, and yet you still pay taxes under another system that, re- that does not require you to interact with the federal government whatsoever. Uh, I, that in itself has already lifted the burden of or, and the force that you're talking about now that you'd like to see gone. So, uh, so we the people have the power to do that, and the legislation that I have written does that. The Proclamation of Freedom that the president would sign would do that, and that takes away about 90% of what you're talking about when it comes to the force of the federal government on We the People. Now, what also goes away, since now the tax code, and you know this to be true, the tax code is full of of uh, perks that lobbyists uh, go and uh, and negotiate with our legislators. When the tax code goes away, nobody gets any special treatment because uh, because the ta- the income tax is now gone. Uh, uh, and so all of the things that you are talking about and how the government is exerting its power over us uh, goes away under my plan. And then uh, I would I would posit to you that when our legislators in Washington no longer have that power, a lot of them will simply not run for re-election because that's what they're there for is power and control. And I guarantee you that a lot of them will simply choose not to run for re-election. And that Be will fine with me. And, and that would open the door uh, for true citizen representatives to step in. And now, since that entire system is gone, uh, they would then be able to begin to bring us back to the level of liberty and prosperity that the founders intended. So uh, so this, this plan that I'm running under in Texas is designed specifically – to remove the power of those currently in position in Washington D.C., and uh, and it's almost like when you uh, take away the perks for the illegal, uh, illegal immigrants to come here, they will self-deport, and that's exactly what I see the legislators doing in, in Washington. When you take away their power, they will uh, elect to not run for election again. And uh, and and that is the strongest thing that we the people can do, is to uh, is to elect people again, true citizen representatives, who respect the Constitution, who respect the uh, the Declaration of Independence and, and uh, Independence, and every principle that the founders uh, wrote into those documents for us, and because we strayed from those, I mean that's just just simply the truth. But uh, Cindy had a great point. These people in Washington are not going to bring about this change on their own. It's going to be up to us, we the people, to uh, to vote for someone else to take their place, to will respect what being an American is all about. Why can't we have just a simple rule that says no one gets to burden anybody with any rules, laws, processes, and procedures against their will? 
That's respecting your fellow man, loving them as your neighbor. That is, that, that's that anarchy. Is, that would be impossible to enforce. That's anarchy. That's what well, you call anarchy. You can't have that. You have to have a rule of law. How's that, how's that <laughs> anarchy when you are you saying you're condoning force and bullying? No, no, but I am condone I am condoning laws, and you're saying just strike mutual down all laws. So, no, huh? I'm not. I didn't okay, say real that. quick, I want I want to nip this. In. How do you get fit? mutual assent? Hold on, hold on, because I've been wanting I've been wanting an answer to this, and and hopefully our guests yeah, can help. <laughs> okay, I've been wanting an answer to this for a long time. How do you get? And 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 John, I'll leave. I'll have you answer it first, and then our our guest. Um, and then we'll have to get ready to do final um, uh, final words, and then I'll have to close things out. But how do we? I've been How do we get mutual assent? Give me a, a, a solution. How do we get that? How do you think we should, we get mutual assent? And then we're gonna see our uh, you know what, what Bob thinks, and then you know we'll have to do closing comments of the night. Uh, but how how do we do that? How is that attained? How is the mutual assent attained? Well, if you condone force, then you definitely are never going to get it, and it's going to continue to get worse. But mutual assent is predicated on both sides deciding for themselves what their burdens and encumbers are. There's got to be valuable consideration. There's going to be promises, and there's going to be terms and conditions, and you only achieve those things through freedom of contract, freedom of conscience, freedom of associations under the pursuit of happiness. If you deny that and say that the people that are elected into office get to force you against your will to be burdened and encumbered by rules, laws, processes, procedures, then you're automatically saying that we do not have equality. Well, you got to be ruled by laws. That's why I think that the rule of law, right. where we are ruled to, by laws. Let's, let's, see what, to, let's see what Bob, real quick, let's see what Bob. Okay, but we're talking mutual assent, but we don't even know what that is. Uh, so let's go ahead. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what's, what's mutual? Does, does that mean everyone? Right, John, let me finish. I'm sorry. I'm getting frustrated. It's just, you know, because we've had this conversation, and I don't want, want to be frustrated, but mutual assent of everyone in the United States? I mean, how do you get mutual assent of everybody? My point has always been is you cannot get mutual assent from everyone in the country. It's just never, ever, ever going to happen. You're never going to get mutual scent of everyone. It just, it's just not. Uh, how do you attain that mutual scent? That's why it's limited government. So you're limited. You can't force on other people. Otherwise, you can be, you know, forced against okay, but we're talking semantics. I mean, what, what's an actual solution? Bob, you have one for us? This is a conversation we have a lot on the show, and we never seem to have a solution for it. So maybe you can help us. Well, let's, let's understand one thing. I've had a lot of experience with contracts during my career. Uh, yes, people get together and they agree on terms of contracts, but I guarantee you that somewhere, someone along the line, someone's going to break that contract. Then what? Who enforces that contract? Uh, you know, that's when the law comes into being. That's when you have to bring in a third party to arbitrate because human nature is this. You know, greed exists, uh, uh, those kind of things exist that will always work themselves into uh, the, the breach of contract. I mean, there's always that possibility. And uh, uh, what, what John is talking about can only exist in utopia, and that simply just doesn't exist. Human nature, 
Uh, we all are sinners. Uh, we all have the seven deadly sins within us. And at some point in time, we are going to act in our, uh, in our advantage at some point in time. And, uh, and so you're going to need someone to step in and enforce the contract that John said is so, so vital to, uh, to the peace and prosperity of, of individuals. But uh, that simply that may work for a while, but uh, but it's not going to work forever. And so, yes, we have limited government, but that government exists so that we can all uh, reach our highest potential and uh, and pursue happiness as we see fit. And uh, that that's the only answer I can come up with. Uh, the founders didn't uh, didn't uh, implement a perfect system. They entered. They did introduce uh, a, a damn good one. Can I? Okay. Can I come in here now? Go, go ahead. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned contract because I was just sitting here writing a note here to say. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think that I think a good solution could be to. Um, to our problem that we need a people's contract with American politicians. Now, you've heard of the tense of that before. You got Gingrich and his contract with America. You got the Tea Party that, you know, had you know was trying to keep politicians uh, uh, um, accountable. But what we need is somebody to present um, to the American people a contract that. And this person that, you know, presents this contract is going to have to be very well respected, uh, so so well respected that R's and B's alike are going to trust and respect that person, uh, independents, green parties, whatever. Um, everyone has to be able to respect this person to the point that they would actually listen to the contract, listen to the idea. We're not going to get any help from the press. So this contract has to go through social media or um, word of mouth, local newspaper ads, you name it. You know, you're going to have to use a lot of different, um, more creative ways to get the word out. But basically, in that contract, we have to have the 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 things that we do um, mutually agree on. Um, so that you know uh, you know we have to leave the things out of it that are too divisive but we have to at least agree on the things that cause corruption and i think that if we can get politicians to say okay i will sign this contract for you um then the people will vote for me okay and once they've voted for me they're going to watch my voting record that's a part of the contract. And when they see how I vote on that particular issue or when they see that I present a new, a, a new um, rule change or a, um, rad, a um, getting rid of another rule, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of rules. That's the thing. There's a big book of rules up there in Washington, and they run Congress according to these stupid 
rules of procedure. And the first thing that we we should have on our list is that when our politician goes up there to Washington, the one that signed our contract with us, and so we voted on him, when he gets there, the first thing we want him to do is start Xing out all these stupid rules of procedure. And we go back to a very simple form of Robert's Rules of Orders. And we get the jobs done that need to be getting done, and we don't block stuff that we want done. With That way the, the people who uh, haven't signed the contract don't have a way to block... Um, the agenda of the American people. And um, I think that's one thing that could be agreed upon in the, con- in, the, in the contract. So basically, unless people get together and decide to do, to do something and to actually gather together under one umbrella and say, these issues we hold in common, Um, And there are a lot of them, believe it or not. I have Democrat relatives, and when we sit and talk, there are some things that we cannot talk about, other things we totally agree on. And the things that we totally agree on are the things that would most likely change the situation up in Washington. Um, If we, you know, if we we can't agree on abortion, But guess what? The abortion issue is not what's going to stop, you know, sending um, a a pro-life person to Congress isn't going to stop the the craziness. Um, Robert, are we supposed to still be on air? It's 105. (laughs) We can be um, because I started a new link that started actually an extra period of time. (laughs) Okay. We can be. Okay. It just, so we're not going to go well, too much longer, you know, for that because I'm supposed to, as I said earlier in the show, I'm supposed to get up early and, and have coffee with the lieutenant governor tomorrow. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, it's a group of us, so you know, if I, they, they invited me. If I if I don't go, you know, they'll, they'll know I didn't go. But <laughs> you know, it's like, well, well, we need but, to be. Uh, I would like to be, to be able to go. But <laughs> go ahead. We need to be respectful of our guest too, because he's. He's been very right. good to hang on with us, and we really do appreciate you for being on, um, Bob. So um, if you need to go, this is the time when you need to let us know. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's 12.05 or 12.06 here in Texas, and I stay up late, oh. so uh, okay. this is not a burden for me. I'll go as long okay. as we'd like. Um, <laughs> but, but just on the matter of a contract, uh, we already have a contract. It's called the Constitution. It is the operating manual for the United States of America. It tells us exactly how to uh, how to elect our representatives. It tells exactly uh, how do we elect our president. It tells exactly what the judicial branch should look like, uh, and it tells us everything we need to know about how America is supposed to be and work and operate uh, to make us the most free people on planet Earth. Um, And so uh, uh, I'm like you. I have people that I can talk to about uh, certain items, uh, certain issues, and some uh, I can't. And 
and that's uh, just the way the world works and how America is. We are a somewhat divided nation. We actually have people in this country who are uh, anti-American, who want us to be a different country than we were intended to be. And uh, and I will always oppose them uh, because I am I am pro-American. And uh, but the Constitution is and should be our guide going forward. And like you said earlier, it is for a moral people and uh, not for those who are not. And uh, we have a tremendous number of people in America who are simply not moral. And uh, and so that's that's one of our biggest problems. I'd love to see us be able to come together as as a country, but we have always been divided, and uh, I suspect we always will be, uh, just on philosophy, if nothing else. Uh, so I, I don't know how, I don't know how to address that. That's why, you know, the majority rules, so to speak. And uh, well, and, but what do you think, Bob? About uh, what do you think about a contract that would say? Um, uh, we the people are going to vote for you if you say, number one, you're going to uh, repeal all the laws, all the rules and regul the excuse me, all the rules of order in in the in the either of the two um, houses of Congress. Yes. Um, and 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 number two. You're going to repeal the um, tax, the income tax. You're going to repeal the, uh, of course, the Obamacare Act completely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Now you, that may be a little too much for for everybody to get on with, but I think some a lot of people are starting to get on board with that now. I think you'll get enough people behind that. But anyway, um, th- there's uh, that um, amendment twenty. Eight that Ron DeSantis put forward um, that every law that Congress makes has to also apply to Congress and they cannot uh, exempt themselves from it. That's another one I think you'd get most people to sign in on. Right. Um, that would stop. That would stop a whole lot of crap going on up there. <laughs> um, yep. And then, um, um, th- you know, th- that's just three that are on the top of my head. And there's a whole lot more that when I talk to my family members and my friends that are Democrats, they would agree with those things. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, because those aren't really, uh, those aren't, they are and they aren't constitutional uh, issues, if you if you understand. Um, I understand we have the Constitution, and that is our ultimate contract. This contract is a contract to save the original contract, basically, <laughs> is what I'm saying, because um, it, it, it does away with the things that are eating away at the Constitution. You remember um, that um, de Tocqueville, when he talked about, um, I think it was him, and yeah, anyway, he said um, something to the effect that um, a democracy only works until the people figure out how to vote largesse for themselves. Right, exactly. And, and and what we have to do is is uh, uh, through this contract we can re-educate on that level um, because schools are no longer doing it. Um, <clears throat> there, there are just 
they're just absolutely flat out refusing to teach that anymore. Um, so I don't know. What do you think? I mean, if we can't, we cannot save the Constitution unless we can agree to change these things because it's those things that are ruining our Constitution. For instance, that um, Congress has to um, uh, adhere to um, the Ninth Amendment that, you know, if it's not mentioned in the Constitution, it goes to the states. Um, You know, things like that that I think most people could get on board with. Do you not think that Getting, gathering the people around such a document and and um, and and ha- enforcing politicians to adhere to it uh, if they assign it originally. Do you not well, think that uh, that would I, help? I, I like the idea. I am drawn back to the Republican contract with America back in the eighties uh, or nineties, whenever that was. Uh, and how, uh, you know, once we get another president or another administration in, those things tend to go by the wayside. One of the things that I have found uh, in running for president twice and now as a senator and uh, Senate candidate in Texas, and you, and you touched on it, most people I talk to have never read the Constitution. They have no idea what it says. They don't know how it, it, uh, how it came about. They don't know what its intent was. They know nothing about the history of our country and uh, what the founders intended for us. Uh, history for most people who, who, who don't study it, uh, history begins on the day they were born. And, uh, and that's all they know from that moment forward. That's why people tell me, you know, Bob, you can never get rid of the income tax, you know, because it's always been there. Well, no, it hasn't, you know. Did you know that... The founders actually wrote two addition to uh, uh, taxing methods into the Constitution, and we paid, and that's how we funded government for from 1789 to 1913. No, what are those two methods? And when I tell them what those two methods are, they they say, "Yeah, that sounds perfectly logical that we would get rid of the income tax because I don't like it. I don't like the money being taken from my paycheck." I agree with you, Bob. Let's go back to those two original taxing methods. And, Bob, by the way, I'm going to vote for you. It only takes five minutes to educate someone who is uneducated about those those things to make them see that there is a better way, and that better way was invented or, or uh, actually put into, into action over 230 years ago. And so uh, so that's that's where I start. And it always comes back to the Constitution. And uh, and to be honest with you, there are a, a tremendous number of people in our country who believe that the Constitution is a living, breathing document that is subject to change on, on a whim, when in fact there is a terribly hard and difficult process put in place on purpose to bringing about uh, amending the Constitution for a particular purpose. And like you said earlier, there are 27 amendments to the Constitution. And by the way, the last six of those were enacted during my lifetime. I was born in 1949. So I have actually lived through six amendments to the Constitution. So it's it's definitely doable. We could amend it in any way that we choose. My 28th Amendment is to repeal the 16th, which is the Income Tax Amendment. 
you talked about, you know, making the laws apply to Congress as they apply to us. That'd be fine with me. Let's make it left the 29th. So, uh, but those are the two that I would uh, would certainly get behind. Uh, and in fact, uh, you can repeal an amendment. Uh, if you study history, you also know that the 18th Amendment was repealed by the 21st. And the 18th, of course, was the prohibition of alcohol, which was repealed in, uh, in with the 21st Amendment. And that language is still is still there. And in fact, that's the language that I took from the 21st that I wrote uh, to repeal the 16th Amendment. It's only 15 words, and that's all it would take to repeal the 16th Amendment. Because in my view, the one thing that that uh, uh, affects the lives of every American, you know, and I, I know no matter what your stripe, the one thing that affects all Americans is taxation, and uh, especially this, this terrible taxing system that we've been living under for more than 100 years. And that would be the first thing that I would enact is to repeal that, and you would see a level of freedom and prosperity that no one has experienced in in. A lifetime, and and that would open the door to and and actually it would make a lot of the things that we have disagreements over today uh, it would make a lot of those things go away. Uh, you know we have a terrible uh, uh, a terrible uh, thing with envy. Let's tax the rich, and my thing is uh, uh, let's tax the rich at a at a, at a greater uh, rate than we do the poor. Well, my thing is, why tax any American at any level different from any other American? I mean, if you talk, want to talk about equality, uh, why would you ever want to tax success? Because if you understand economics, the more money you put in anybody's pocket, that all goes back into the economy and generates uh, a more prosperous America for everybody. And so uh, uh, that's sort of where I come down on that, is that, uh, you know, and, and, you know, John talked about force. Why would you ever force someone to pay more than, quote, unquote, a fair share when that fair share should be equal to everyone, you know, and that, whether it's a rate or anything like that? Uh, why make a certain law or a, a tax bracket for one person and not another? Uh, that that's the definition of inequality in my view, and that's what the founders actually wrote into the Constitution: one rate for everyone. And, and when they talk about indirect taxes, and then uh, when it comes to direct taxes, those taxes should be apportioned according to the census to each state. And so, the, and those were the two taxing methods that uh, we lived under for the first 125 years. So everything, a lot of what we are suffering under today could easily uh, just simply fade into the, the sunset. And a lot of the uh, services currently provided by the federal government, I talked earlier about Social Security and welfare and things like that, would simply revert to the states to enact or not, not enact uh, based on the, the will of the people in each individual state. Uh, you know, if, if Texas wants to be a welfare state, fine. But if we don't want to be, then that's okay, too. We just simply won't give the, the legislature the authority to pass those laws. But what will happen 
is that when every Texan and every American brings home 100 percent of their pay, we will then be free to take care of the poor through charities and churches and things like that, like it used to be. And charity comes from the heart. It never will and never has come from government. And and so you begin to see how we start to peel back the the different layers of this onion that has been uh, you know placed before us for over a hundred years. And within the center of that, when you peel back all the layers, is that level of freedom and prosperity that we were intended to live under, and and expected and meant to experience as free Americans. And by the way, that no other country on earth is uh, uh, was intended to uh, to experience. And that's another reason why I, I sort of get upset when people say uh, they bring up the fact that, well, other Western countries, you know, have this or they have this or uh, they provide health care or they do this. And my response always is we're not ever, we're not like other countries. We were never intended to be other countries. We were always intended to be different than and, in my view, better than all other countries when it comes to liberty and prosperity. And I think um, that is you know, a good – well, but Cindy, I wait. think that's a good way of, you know, that I'll have to end it for this evening. Uh, as Great. I stated, I mean, we, you know, I've got uh, uh, that morning appointment uh, that I, I want to be able to make. Uh, I do appreciate it, and you're, you're certainly – uh, welcome, because it sounds like we probably could have done another hour and a half uh, <laughs> on the show, and, I, I, and, and we uh, we could have done it. And as I said, if I did not have uh, that in the morning, uh, then I, you know, I would definitely would, would do it. <laughs> but you know, but I do have those uh, there, and, and one of the reasons I'm going is, frankly, is uh, I've been trying to get uh, her on the show, and I, I, if I can't get through her gatekeepers, I'm just going to go straight to her and say, you know, uh, Miss Taylor, Miss Taylor, when when are you going to get onto the show? Because we've we've, you know, I've been invited, and you know, what, what your 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 guy who does your scheduling has not uh, reached back to me. I've gotten a hold of uh, the local, uh, you know, kind of the. Attaché or whatever you want to call it, a local person for uh, for that uh, to get things scheduled and what have it. So maybe I just need to go straight to the uh, the source. But I do appreciate everyone coming into our uh, this this version. I apologize again for I have no idea what happened and and why that why we got cut off. Uh, and I definitely want to have you on because I, I even had some more questions for you for our interview tonight, uh, Bob. But uh, you know we we definitely have a, a lot more we can talk about. That's for certain. Uh, but I will, you know, at this point, have to uh, close things out. You know, I appreciate it. Uh, and, again, you know, you're, you're welcome back on uh, anytime. Now, next week uh, we do have uh, – and these could be on for the whole show, so who knows, maybe we could continue on. But we do have uh, a Todd Watson from Nebraska who is going to be joining us next week, and he, too, is running for uh, the Senate, uh, the U.S. Senate as well, and he's running actually as a Republican. Uh, so we'll uh, be having him on, and it'll be interesting uh, because we can kind of compare and contrast with him with uh, the uh, the GOP candidate we had on a few weeks ago uh, and kind of compare what their different stances are and the different topics. So that'll be interesting for next week. 
Uh, and then, of course, you know, we we'll, would like to have you on uh, again. But, you know, again, I will have to uh, close things out for this evening. Um, so if you have any, uh, just for, for about a minute, uh, uh, any closing comments, uh, we'll leave that up for our guest uh, for tonight for those, um, uh, you know, because I have to, to wind things down. But go ahead uh, with closing comments uh, for the show this evening, Bob, and I appreciate it again you coming on. Go ahead. Well, Robert, I do appreciate the opportunity to come on your show. I enjoyed it very much. Again, to all your listeners, my name is Bob McNeil. I'm running for the United States Senate uh, from Texas. I am a third-party candidate. I represent the American Citizen Party. I am a true citizen representative. I am a Marine Corps veteran. I have uh, 40 years of business experience, and I know how to solve problems. So that's what I bring to the table uh, during this election. If you're listening from Texas, I hope you will vote for me, uh, and uh, I'll cut it off from there. Well, thank you very much, and uh, it certainly, and we'll uh, we'll get the links for the podcast uh, to folks as well, uh, so they can uh, listen to your responses on the show tonight. Uh, and again, you know, we appreciate you are welcome on again. And so we'll have to uh, close things out tonight, as I do every night. And that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. Thanks again, folks. We'll see you next week, and good night.